Well, tonight, if you would turn with me to 2 Kings, we're actually going to look at two passages because the Second Chronicles version of this uh, historical event is much more detailed. So I'm going to read 2 Kings 12, verses 17 through 21, and then I'm also going to read from 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verses 15 through 27. So those two passages, the first one being uh, 2 Kings chapter 12, 17 through 21. But I want to tell you as we begin this story, this is a sad story. There's really no getting around it. It's a very sad story. You know the beginning, if you've been here the last few weeks, is the story of this young man named Jehoash, or Joash in some uh, verses. His story began with him being dramatically rescued from a royal bloodbath. He is the only seed of David in line to the throne that has lived. He has been hidden at great cost, adopted by believing parents, and installed as a child king. We looked last week at how he became king at seven years old. His adopted father and mentor, a priest named Jehoiada, led him to be a great king until his death, Jehoiada's death. And oh, how we want to hear the happily ever after storybook ending for Jehoash. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Follow along as I read first from 2 Kings chapter 12, just a short section beginning at verse 17. At that time, Haziel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. But when Haziel set his face to go up against Jerusalem, Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred gifts that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his fathers, the kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred gifts, and all the gold that was found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house, and sent these to Haziel, king of Syria. Then Haziel went away from Jerusalem. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? His servants arose and made a conspiracy and struck down Joash in the house of Milo on the way that goes down to Silla. It was Josachar, the son of Shimeath, and Jehozabad, the son of Shomer, his servants, who struck him down so that he died. And they buried him with his fathers in the city of David, and Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. That's a short version. Let's read the longer version in 2 Chronicles chapter 24 beginning with verse 15. But Jehoiada grew old and full of days and died. He was 130 years old at his death. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel and toward God and his house. Now after the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Then the king listened to them. And they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him, and by command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. 
And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. At the end of the year, the army of the Syrians came up against Joash. They came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Through, though the army of the Syrians had come with few men, the Lord delivered into their hand a very great army because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Thus they executed judgment on Joash. When they had departed from him, leaving him severely wounded, his servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada the priest and killed him on his bed. So he died, and they buried him in the city of David. But they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Those who conspired against him were Zabad, the son of Shimeath, the Ammonite, and Jehozabad, the son of Shimeath, the Moabite. Accounts of his sons and of the many oracles against him and of the rebuilding of the house of God are written in the story of the book of the kings, and Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. So we consider these words two histories of the same events and the same king, Jehoash or Joash. Let us come to the Lord in a time of prayer. Lord, this is your word. It shall stand forever. Lord, you know my words, and me, myself, will not stand forever. Lord, let anything said here, done here, thought here, be consistent with your words. And Lord, if not, let them pass away quickly, never to be heard from again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're one who's interested in athletic programs, you know perhaps that they are filled with coaches who had great success in their early years. In fact, they probably wouldn't have gotten their coaching jobs if they hadn't had some type of success. Lots of energy they have, having been taught, many of them, by legendary coaches, perhaps on the high school or college ranks or even in the professional ranks. Many of them are part of what we call a coaching tree or a coaching pipeline. In other words, there is a legendary coach or a well-knowledgeable coach who begins to teach and train those coaches under him, and pretty soon they are coaches out in the areas around them in high schools and colleges and other places. But what happens when that early success is not seen later on? The Apostle Paul writes about finishing the race. I know some of you have talked to me about your desire to finish the race and to finish well. And we want to hear those words that are sometimes used in these histories of the kings, well done, good and faithful servant. But let me tell you, it's not just for the elderly, is it? It's for all those who proclaim to be among the people of God in all phases of life to continue serving the Lord and to be those who are people of faith walking in the ways of the Lord. By all accounts that we have, or we could consider if we had not encountered this passage before, we probably would consider Joash up to these verses to be a man of God. He had a great mentor and a great late leader named Jehoiada, and of course we know that early in his reign he was all about reforming the temple and rebuilding it and even calling to task the priests regarding the finances if they did not use those in the proper ways for which they had been given. But we find out in this passage some serious issues with the reign of Joash. We encounter first of all the death of a righteous man. 
Jehoiada must have been some guy, huh? He was a high priest. He saw that Athaliah, the wicked woman who was ruling before Joash, that she had set out to kill all of these babies. He risked his own life, or his wife risks her own life to save this child. Together they risked their lives to raise this child king from age one to age seven. And then he teaches and trains this king to be a righteous king in the eyes of the Lord. This man, it says here, was so respected and so loved that they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel and toward God in his house. What can we say about the death of this righteous man? man? First of all, we must be reminded Jehoiada cannot live the life that Joash needs to live in order to be redeemed. In the Psalms, in Psalm 49, we read these words. If I can turn there. Psalm 49, verses 7 through 9, we hear, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. As wonderful a man as Jehoiada seemed to be, as faithful as he seemed to be to the Lord, as much a teacher and a trainer of Jehoiada that he was in his young kingship, yet Jehoiada could not redeem and save Joash. Joash had to have his own faith. I have to say, this is a challenge for all of us, isn't it? Those of us especially who have children and grandchildren. We would like to know that these children and grandchildren, because of our teaching and training, would then maintain a faithful life before the Lord. And yet we cannot be saved on the tailcoat of our fathers or our grandfathers, our mothers or our grandmothers. Even a good man cannot redeem another. The other thing we can learn from this is this. Royalty is not measured by blood, is it? Yes, we know this is the line of David. Jehoiada was not of the line of David. He was a priest. And yet, to be buried amongst the kings because of the work he had done for Israel is a reminder that we are all called to be royal. That is, to be of the family of God who are making the earth a blessing through us as we point people to Christ. As we reflect the image of God, then we point people to Jesus. And of course, the kingdom of God makes us to be royal priests serving in his kingdom. He is buried with the kings. What a, an epitaph for Jehoiada that it would say, because of what he had done, he would be buried with royalty. What a wonderful picture of what it means to be a true servant of the Lord. But the problem is, that's not where we stop tonight. We're just getting started. It's not just the death of a righteous man we encounter in this passage, but there are other deaths involved here too. I've labeled these three things, the death of innocence, the death of prosperity, and the death of potential. First of all, the death of innocence. Here is Joe Ash. As far as we know, from this point, he seems to be a good guy. He has a great leader. He's reforming the country. 
Even though not all the idols or all the high places have been torn down, yet we are told that as long as Jehoiada lived, he did what was right in the eyes of God. And yet here we are reminded of what took place. Verse 17 in 2 Chronicles 24 says this, Now after the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Then the king listened to them. And they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the ashram and the idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Joash, when his mentor and his adopted father passed away, the young people of the land, the chiefs, the rulers, they came to him, and he substituted these fools for a good mentor. He didn't learn the lesson of his forefather, did he? This is really the story of Rehoboam told over again. Remember the story of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon? Rehoboam comes out and the, the, the wise counselors of his father told him, you must be careful, the taxes have been a burden on the people, and so you probably should give them some relief. And Rehoboam sought the counsel of his own generation, and these fools that would come and counsel him said, and got him to say, my dad might have been mean to you, but I'm going to be meaner. I'm going to require more of you. In fact, the little finger of my father, I will be the waste. In other words, here it is, I will be stronger and greater than my father. And of course, this foolishness for mentors cost him many tribes in the kingdom, ten in fact, of the 12 tribes. So here is redone Rehoboam in the life of Joash. Instead of listening to the counsel of Jehoiada and those like him, he listened to all those who would turn him to another substitution, substituting idols for the living God. Here is a guy who is in office because of protection from that wicked family that had been influenced by King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and now Queen Athaliah and her son Ahaziah before her had brought in terrible idol worship, particularly the Baals, and ruined almost the entire kingdom as Joash is the only surviving one left. And yet when his mentor and his father Jehoiada dies that he turns to idols too. He substitutes the idols of the Asherim and others for the living God. And what, what does that do? Well, it's very clear. They abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, served the Asherim and the idols, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. It brought guilt upon the people. Whenever you place something above the Lord God, you are guilty of idolatry. It's real guilt. It's not just that you feel guilty. It's not just that there's some sense in which people think less of you. This is real guilt before a holy God. To serve another breaks one of the core commandments of God himself. But it not only brought, God's, uh, brought guilt upon the people, it also brought God's wrath upon the people. This is a terrible thing when wrath comes. This is what we all deserve. In fact, Scripture tells us we're all children of wrath before we come 
to faith in Jesus Christ. Wrath is terrible. This is because of their guilt. This is their deserved judgment that is coming upon them. And here it is because of what has taken place in the substitution, substituting fools for a, for a good mentor, substituting idols for the Lord. And now he's also substituting revelation for a relationship. Notice what takes place. God sends prophets. Even in God's wrath, he is still kind and loving. He sends here multiple prophets to testify against the people who are committing idolatry. He sent prophets among them for what reason? It's to bring them back. In other words, it's to cause them to repent. This is the kindness of God, to constantly reveal to them his will to turn from those idols to him. And so he brings them in his wrath, yet in his kindness, he delays the wrath so that they can hear the call to repentance. And then we read about one of them. Just one of those prophets who was called. Verse 20 says, The Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper because you have forsaken the Lord? He has forsaken you. Now it's interesting. Zechariah, of course, is in the line of the priesthood. Jehoiada was a priest. So too then would Zechariah have been a priest. But this priest was called by God. He's the son of Jehoiada, that mentor, that longtime righteous man who lived to a ripe old age of 130 years, was buried amongst the kings, and his very son, Zechariah, now is coming to prophesy against those idolatrous people under Joash, the one who was mentored to be a righteous king. God is gracious. God wants that relationship to be restored. He sent these prophets for that purpose. He desires a relationship. And of course now this revelation of wrath and judgment and a call to repentance has come. What is Joash going to do? Well, here's what the people did. Verse 21, they conspired against him and by command of the king they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of God. There was a conspiracy of the people. They wouldn't hear it. God's word of called repentance, his gospel grace, is often rejected with great anger and wrath. It is offensive. It is offensive for the world to hear that they are sinners and they cannot save themselves. It is terrible for people to understand that their hearts are only evil continuously. And that apart from God's grace and the Savior Jesus Christ, they have no hope in this world. So they formed a conspiracy. But listen to who commanded that they be stoned. From seven-year-old Joash, where all the people are saying, long live the king. Where people have rejoiced that the line of David has been preserved. And now, years later, Joash, still on the throne, gives the command to stone to death the son of Jehoiada who saved his life. Thus Joash, the king, did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. The death of innocence. 
if you were to think that surely, because of the innocence of a child, a misnomer if there ever was one, if you've had children, you know that from a very early age they exhibit the signs not of righteousness but of sin. And of course we know that we all have a tendency towards that sin. It's in our nature to do so because we have been descended from Adam and Eve, the first sinners. Therefore, descended from them by ordinary generation, all of us have original sin. There is actually no innocent individual who is born except the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born of the Virgin Mary and conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so he did not have an earthly father to pass on that sin nature. But yet here we are in a world that tells us that children are innocent. In fact, you are to go to the vast number of schools and places of learning and families, then you will find that many people believe that their children are born in innocence. And of course, Joash here would have been the king that would be considered what an innocent example of childhood to rule over the nation. Invariably, we're told that a terrible criminal is said to have been such a good boy when he was young. His parents will say that to the reporters. His neighbors might say he was a loner or he kept to himself, but often they would say, we can't believe that this guy would do these things. We know him, and he was a good boy. It is hard for them to believe that such a person could have committed such awful crimes. But here's the problem with Scripture. It tells us that all of us are prone to evil. In fact, all of us are sinners before a holy God, and left to ourselves, we will only sin all the time. Even the good things we do are for motivations or tainted by sin in some other way. The heart of man is only evil continually. Joash was no different. Joash could not be saved because Jehoiada was a righteous man. Joash could not be saved because he was mentored in a proper way or because he heard the word of God every, every Sabbath day or because he was told to write a copy of the law. These things would not save him. He had to believe upon the Lord. And so not only was there the death of innocence here and this concept that children are innocent, but there's also the death of prosperity. At the end of the year, the army of the Syrians came up against Joash. This is verse 23. They came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Though the army of the Syrians had come with few men, the Lord delivered into their hand a very great army because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Thus they executed judgment on Joash. Here's what happened. There's the arrival of an outside enemy. This is what God has done. It's not just that one day Haziel got up in the morning and said, well, today's the day I'm going to go down to Judah and destroy them. No, God prompted in history that individual to make those decisions. It was at his instigation. And here we are reminded that he handed a larger army over to the few of the army of Syria. The Lord gives Syria victory over Judah because of what they have done. 
Verse 17 of 2 Kings 12 says, At that time, Hazael, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. But when Hazael set his face to, go, face to go up against Jerusalem, Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred gifts that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah's fathers, the kings of Judah, dedicated, and his own sacred gifts, and all the gold that was found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house. And he sent these to Hazael, king of Syria. Then Hazael went away from Jerusalem. As the Lord gave Syria victory over Judah and executed judgment through the hands of Syria, Joash decided to acquiesce in a core principle of his reign as king. What is the one thing that symbolized the righteous attitude of Joash until Jehoiada died? It was the repairs and the rebuilding of the temple. And it was the reform even of the financial structure so that it was sure that the workers would get the money so that the repairs could be made. This was the symbol that the kingdom was returning to the roots of worshiping the true God of Israel. But now, when times get tough and judgment comes, Joash gives up on his reform. All that he has done is now wash out the window as he gives all the treasures of the palace and all the treasures of the temple. In fact, all the treasures that were put in the temple by his father and his grandfather before him, all of them, now they are given into the hand of Syria because he was not trusting in the Lord to deliver him from his enemies. Gave away all the treasures. And in essence, he was giving away any symbolic sense that he was following the Lord. I remember when I was in college and I had decided to close my baseball card business. My father didn't want me to do it. It was kind of funny. My father didn't want me to buy baseball cards with my money when I was young. And then when I got into the baseball cards and started a baseball card business, my father was my biggest fan. He loved doing that. I wanted to close the business my freshman year in college, and my dad said, give me another year. I want to do it and go to some more shows and do some other things, and so he did. But it came to be known that we just could not keep up with the times. We could not spend the money. And, of course, here it was for my college education and not necessarily to have an ever-ending baseball card business. And so we decided to sell off the business. There were for years many boxes of baseball cards left from that business, and I remember when I got married and we were ready to have our first child, I went into the room that was dedicated to baseball paraphernalia in my house, and I decided it was time to sell. And so I took some of the prized collection that was still left, that was part of the collection that I had sold, and I took it to a dealer and I said, you're going to get a great deal today. And I sold everything except my own personal collection. It was placing an end in that chapter of my life. It turned a chapter in many ways. This is what Jehoash is doing. His whole life up until this point had been dedicated to serving both Jehoiada and the people of Israel under the leadership of God and his word. He had instituted this great reform in his nation to rebuild and repair the temple as a symbol that they were coming back to worship the true God. This was under Jehoiada's leadership. And when it was time 
to deal with an enemy that came to his gates instead of crying out to God for deliverance, instead of trusting him for help, this great God who had delivered him from a terrible death, this great God who had a history of delivering his people, even his grandfather, great-grandfather Jehoshaphat, here he decided to give everything of personal value to this king in order to stave off destruction. In buying Syria's retreat at the cost of all the temple and palace treasures, it turned the page on his dalliance with faith. His loyalty, or lack thereof, had been displayed already by his unjust murder of Zechariah, and it's now complete with his turning the tables on the one reformed symbolism symbol of his reign. How sad. How tragic. The death of innocence, the death of prosperity for the kingdom and his kingship. But perhaps the saddest is the death of potential. To be able to be a rookie at seven years old, a rookie king. And to be able to spend 40 years as a king, what potential? What changes, what reforms could be done in the kingdom? What glorious things could have been done under a righteous king in those days for 40 years? But instead, what took place? In 2 Chronicles, it says this. When they had departed from him, that is the Syrians, leaving him severely wounded, his servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada the priest and killed him on his bed. So he died. This is a conspiracy against a traitor. This is what Jehoash had become, a traitor. Here he had been given a kingdom. Here he had been given a chance to be a great king in the history of God's people. Here he had been given training in the word and training in righteousness. And instead, he had become a traitor against God and against his law. After this wounding judgment that God gave him, they conspired for killing his mentor's son. What tremendous potential this guy had. What a terrible, traitorous betrayal he committed. In fact, so much so that here's what took place after he was killed. It says this, those who conspired against him, it lists their names. But in verse 25 of 2 Chronicles 24, it says this, they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. He's unfit for the burial of previous kings. Unfit. What a difference. In the first part of this text, we read that they buried Jehoiada with the kings because of his righteousness and all the good that he had done for Israel. But here now is a king who could have followed in those footsteps and served much longer and done much more with great potential. And instead, they see him so unfit that though they buried him with the kings, they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Despite even his initial reforms, it looked so good. His initial batting average being 300 or more. His RBIs were so great. 
He was a football player. He had lots of tackles or lots of touchdowns thrown or caught, whatever it is. All that potential that was there. His burial indicates that he did not finish well. I don't know what the numbers are. It's something like 90% or more of professional athletes who begin their career in athletics find this to be the case. The death of potential. They're labeled with potential or they would not get drafted or signed by a professional team. And yet many of them do not last at all. They never get past the phrase of look at his potential. They never get past it. I remember as a teenager in high school, we had a pretty good basketball team for a small rural public school in the state of Illinois. All the ones on the starting lineup were over six feet. There were two that were six foot six inches tall and one of them was a prime athlete. He was the guy who didn't have to practice, he didn't have to do anything, he could go down the court and dunk the basketball. He was the guy who didn't have to do anything and go out on a football field and do just about whatever you wanted. He had all kinds of potential and all kinds of talent. David had everything going for him. The greatest potential that the rest of us were jealous for. We thought we could be so much with that potential. He had no interest in anything but drugs and depravity. It was all washed down the drain. Here we have the greatest potential in the world. When our children grow up in the church, they receive all the covenant blessings of being amongst a people that trust and believe in and worship God. They're trained in his word. They're told all the promises. They're given all the advantages of the kindness and love shown those in the household of God. They have the greatest potential that the world has ever known because they have the greatest things that last forever and have the most power on the face of the earth. But it's not potential that will cut it in the kingdom of God. It's the smallest faith that moves mountains. Joash didn't have it. We cannot rely on our past. We cannot rely on what took place in the start. We cannot rely on potential. We can only find strength, hope, significance, in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He alone. No one else. For Joash, it would have been looking forward, believing in the promises of the Christ to come. For us, it's looking not upon our fathers or our grandfathers, not upon our heritage, not upon our potential, not upon even the great gifts and talents that God gives us, but on Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, let our young people hear these words. That they must trust in Christ, not trust in the faith of their parents, not trust in their wisdom or intelligence, not trust in their gifts or their background or their heritage. But they must trust in Christ. Lord, help us to hear these words. It's not just the young, it's the middle-aged and the elderly. We all need to hear it's only in Christ, it's only in your word, it's only in your promises 
that we have hope. Give us this faith, even if it's as small as a mustard seed. For Lord, you save people by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. In Jesus' name, amen.